Hello and welcome to How Healthcare Happens, the brand new podcast from Cardiff and Vale University Health Board discussing all the things you never knew the NHS did. My name's Bryn Kentish and today we're talking about sustainable travel. Today's guest is Dr Tom Porter, a consultant in public health medicine. Tom and I discuss all things active travel in Cardiff and the Vale of Glamorgan, including his work to encourage people to walk and cycle to work and how he works with local authorities and other public sector organisations in the region to make organisational change rather than placing the responsibility for change at the feet of the individual. We discuss the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, the dangers of a sedentary lifestyle and air pollution, how active travel can combat these and the future of travel in Cardiff. All that and more coming up. Today we're talking to Dr. Tom Porter, a consultant in public health medicine. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. To begin, can you just explain, and I realise this might be quite a big question, but what does public health mean? Oh, there's probably a textbook answer, which I'm going to forget. But essentially, it's about the um, total state of well-being of people and how you can achieve that in the population. Um, so there's lots of different ways you can do it, but there are the, the principal ways of doing it are kind of preventative medicine. So um, health improvement things. So trying to stop people from uh, smoking or trying to get people to exercise more or have a healthy diet. You can prevent people from getting diseases which spread. So communicable disease control. So things like vaccination and that sort of stuff. That's called health protection. Yeah. And you've got other other types as well, including environmental public health and, and other types, too. So as a consultant in public health. What's your remit for, for that? Um, so different consultants will specialise in different bits. And, and another bit which, which I didn't mention is around healthcare public health. So that's how we interact with the health service itself. Um, so are the, the services we're providing uh, doing what we want? And are they the best use of our resource as a population? So, so everyone does different bits. The, the bits that I focus on primarily are around uh, planning our team input as a public health team and working with our partners. I lead on Future Generations Act, both from a public health perspective and uh, lead on some of the work across the health board as well. Um, and I'm leading on uh, healthy travel as well. So uh, all the different components which go to encouraging uh, an environment and a system which encourages people to travel in a healthy way. So you mentioned that it's a type of preventative medicine. Um, obviously, one of the key aspects, I suppose, of the health board's 10-year strategy is to focus more on prevention and less on treatment and I understand that that is one of the core issues in the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act as well. Can you just explain the act really briefly for people who might not know what it is? Yeah so um, the act is it's a, a legislative first for Wales I guess it's the first place in the world to have enshrined in law the rights of uh, future generations so our children and their children's children as well and adults in the future as well so not just adults now and that says that we need to give due regard uh, to the well-being of those future generations so when we consider things that we're going to do now of course we have to consider the impact it will have on people now but we also have to consider the impact it will have on people in the future and and weigh up both of those areas and, and obviously traditionally we've tended to focus more on the impact in the here and now rather than the impact in the future there's lots of very specific elements to the act so for example there are within the act five particular ways of working that uh, public organisations are required to display so things like collaborating together working together much more thinking about the long term so sort of 10 20 year time horizon if not a bit further 
Um, so that those ways of working, there's five of those, and there are seven goals as well within the Act, which are types of well-being that we should all be working towards. And the Act covers, I think it's 44 public bodies in Wales. Uh, so those public bodies, including the Health Board, Public Health Wales, the other health boards in Wales, museum and all, all the other public sector bodies um, have to display those attributes under the act and we're held to account mm. uh, to do that so you said that historically not just Cardiff and Vale Health Board but all public organizations made decisions to bring about change and benefits for the people that are using those services right now how has the health board started to change that to focus on the future generations and I should just say at that point, I mean, I guess one of the key things that drives that behaviour about focusing on the now is a political cycle as well. So it's actually quite a hard political thing for politicians to stand up and say, actually, we want to get voted in for something which may not affect you or may even adversely affect you, but benefit people in the future. So I guess that's one of the, the key ways that that's been driven in the past. So what are we doing about it as a health board? So a few years back in 2015, we established a 10 year strategy, which was the, the health board hadn't had before. That was called Shaping Our Future Wellbeing. So we're now coming up to halfway through that and within that that did start to set out uh, a much clearer uh, direction that the health board wants to go in so that it's not just a major hospital two major hospitals uh, acute hospitals it's actually much more than that now obviously we've had primary care before and we, we continue to have primary care which is an essential part and community services but it's trying to say within all of our care pathways we shouldn't just be thinking about how we get somebody in who's unwell and get them out it's how do we start right upstream try and stop them becoming unwell in the first place how do we work with all those different partners throughout that care pathway right from somebody who may be at risk of becoming unwell right through to somebody who is unwell or maybe dying and, and the kind of end of life care pathway so how do we try and knit all of those bits together so that's been around for four years now obviously one of the ways that you mentioned that you work on to implement that strategy is encouraging people to um, travel actively and increase the amount of physical activity that they do in their week by doing so why is that what are the benefits to active travel or conversely what are the risks of being sedentary sedentary behavior is a, a really big thing that we've seen it's been increasing over time and we know that now that in our area about one in five adults do less than half an hour of any physical activity a week at all and we class them uh, as inactive um, and we know that increases your risk of diabetes and of cardiovascular disease and cancer as well. So it's a really big issue. And things like obesity, which everyone will be aware is a huge issue. Again, over half of adults in our area and, and across the UK, across the wider Western world as well, are overweight or obese. And that also increases the risk of cancer, of cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So, th and these are complex problems. These, these aren't solved by one sole thing so for example obesity is is a myriad of different things which go into it of which diet is another key component but we know that physical activity is a vital part of being human so we didn't evolve to be in bed wake up sit at a, a breakfast table sit in a car to go to work sit in an office sit in your car again to come back home sit and have dinner sit and watch telly and then go back to bed that's hardly any movement but that is actually a really common pattern that everyone kind of slips into because that's how our society has evolved it's how our environment around us has evolved it's how our jobs have evolved what we need to do is to try and make it so that we support people to become more active and the best way of doing that sports is really important but actually we want to try and build it into people's everyday activity because then it'll become natural and second nature and the problem is that at the moment second nature is not moving very much uh, so one of the things that i'm i'm really interested in yes is active travel by active travel we mean walking and cycling 
but also the whole kind of transport system um, because for example taking public transport people may say well that's not traveling actively but in fact you usually walk or cycle to a bus stop or a train stop and you may walk or cycle at the other end so you are still traveling more actively at either end plus trying to start to look at this in a much more holistic way as well not only the health of the individual where we're looking at physical activity we're also looking at mental well-being and that's impacted upon by how we get around but also looking on environmental health as well so thinking about things like climate change air quality as well and all of our decisions and the, the prompts in the environment for how we get around are influenced and influence all of those other factors as well as active travel so thinking about the environment by encouraging as many people as possible to travel actively that is to walk or cycle and not use their car or alternatively use public transport where available. The NHS is playing its part in trying to reduce carbon emissions and air pollution. What are the wider health implications for a society that relies so heavily on the car as far as air pollution is concerned? Okay, so in terms of um, air quality, the things that we tend to look at are pollutants such as nitrogen dioxide, uh, and particulate matter. Carbon dioxide is also really important in terms of climate change. And all three of those are produced by petrol and diesel cars. The impact on people's health tends to be lungs and cardiovascular disease and cancers as well. And we know that both short-term and long-term lung conditions, so things like asthma and COPD, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, are exacerbated, certainly in the short term and probably in the long term, by higher levels of uh, nitrogen dioxide and, and particulate matter. We know also that there are, for those pollutants there's no safe known safe level of pollution so even at relatively low levels there are some effects and the higher those levels get the more the effects are there are legal maximums which have been established by the european union and certainly some streets we know from modeling and from actual readings in cardiff at the moment do exceed those levels for no2 and so i'm i'm working uh, with a number of colleagues in the in cardiff council uh, around how we can try and address some of those air quality issues but it, it does fundamentally come back to how as a society do we want to get around because about 80% of no2 comes from uh, the roadside comes from cars and other transport so what we really need to do is try and shift completely how we get around and that's not straightforward that takes a lot of work not only in terms of infrastructure but in terms of behavior change as well um so so we've got lots of that we need to do but we also need to do it fairly quickly uh, so if you think around things like climate change we don't have time so we, we need to get on and do big change now i suppose there are some people that you come into contact with that would say that it's not really the nhs's place to legislate how we get around and that it's just another example of a of the state intervening in in people's everyday lives but it seems to me that it is really important to try and change people's behaviors for the very reason that we can all be healthier so we won't need treatment for lung disease and cardiovascular disease in the future which is obviously something that the nhs would want to be invested in alongside partners in local authority from a purely a cost benefit reason and the fact that it is cheaper to try and prevent people from getting unwell rather than trying to sort all these issues out in the future it makes financial sense at one level secondly the nhs itself is a big polluter so a lot of people are employed within the nhs and we also as a set of organizations have a huge number of vehicles on the road which we're responsible for um, so we can directly take action around that but i think we have to also look at this idea sometimes people talk about choice around how we get around some of these are inbuilt prompts within the environment but also there are a lot of road users who don't have a choice so if we look at for example young children uh, we know that the biggest cause of death amongst children is being hit by a car. Um, now, that's not a choice that they make. That's where you've got 
basically small 15, 20 kilogram soft animals um, in contact with one ton lumps of metal which are driving down the road. Now, in times gone by, we would have said that was an unfair situation to put those children in. But for some reason now, certain groups of our society will think that's a kind of a God-given right almost to have a car which takes precedent over children. We were all children once. And so there's something about how we try and get back to that status of saying, well, actually, what are our, what is our environment for? What are our streets for? Is it purely for individuals to get around often one person in one large vehicle? Or may there be better ways of doing it? And that's not me saying that I'm against cars. I think cars can have a place, but we need to be more intelligent about how we use different forms of transport. So where we can share transport, where we can have public transport, that's great. If, and especially in rural areas, car transport seems to be the only way of getting around at the moment, then can we decarbonise that? So can we look at things like electric vehicles um, to try and reduce the impact? In our cities and urban environments as well, there's an element of planning those environments around the pedestrian or the child playing in the street or the cyclist as a priority rather than the car because it seems to me that especially in, in Cardiff which is quite a new city and it seems to me as though the city has been planned to facilitate the use of cars everywhere. Yeah I think I mean I did some work a couple of years ago and you can you can see that there's been a massive shift in western society about how we get around over the last 50 years and actually if you go back to Cardiff in the 1920s there was a massive tram network and at the peak of the tram, not only did it have a tram network throughout Cardiff, much, much bigger than anything being planned today with the, the metro for Cardiff, um, but you had 42 million journeys were taken in one year on the tram. Wow. So that's how people got around. So actually, did we plan it for the car? No. But have we planned it for the car since? Yes, absolutely. And we, we end up as a society, not necessarily through any individual making this choice, but we go down a route of reinforcing that over and over. So once you start to have an expectation that people get around by cars, you start to build out of town shopping centres, you start to build places of work out of town. If you don't have public transport to them, people then start to drive. And if people are then driving, then any public transport there was dies because there's no uh, customers going on it. So it kind of reinforces the need for it to have a car. So we, we can wind all this back. We've done it before. We just There are some very conscious steps we need to take. Uh, at a kind of a societal level through government, local government as well. But we will at some point need to have individuals changing their behaviour. But I, I am a firm believer that an awful lot of our behaviour isn't really choice. A lot of it is just done based on the elements of the environment around us. If you, if you took somebody from Cardiff and moved them to Amsterdam, the chance of them taking up driving around the centre of Amsterdam is very, very small because no one else does it. But actually, a lot of people do drive around the centre of Cardiff because that's what we all do. So it's, we just need to change what the prompts are in our environment. Do you think over-reliance on the car has alienated people from each other in their communities? If you're coming out of your house going straight into your car that's parked on your drive and you're not walking down your street and seeing your neighbours, then you kind of become isolated. Yeah, and there's some really good evidence around this. There's a, a really nice study that was done in Bristol a few years ago which shows three different streets and the amount of socialising on that street depending on how much traffic's in the street. So in the, the really heavy traffic street, people don't really talk to each other. They kind of go from their house straight into their car, drive away, come back, go back, straight back into their house. Whereas in the, the light traffic street people are talking to everyone all their neighbors and people on the other side of the road and they, they treat it more like a just like they're they're in and out of their houses all the time 
Um, and th there's another um, phenomenon called severance, where you can have two communities which are right adjacent to each other, literally maybe five, ten metres away, but there will be a, a significant road between them with lots of traffic on. And it may well be that very, very few people, if any, cross between those two communities and it is almost like a physical barrier between the communities. So absolutely, it, it does have that effect. And, and the flip side to that, um, and this is purely anecdote, but the flip side is um, if you see people out on the streets walking or cycling, they are much, much more likely to say hello to each other and to smile at each other than you would be if you're driving around in a car where generally you're in your own little world listening to the radio or whatever it is. Whereas if you're out and about on a bike or walking, there's much more kind of just natural talking, smiling, whatever going on. And from my anecdotal point of view as well, I'm often so stressed <laughs> when driving a car that I don't feel like interacting with anyone else at all. And, and, and the interesting thing, I mean, that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I think we, we again, we sort of internalise the idea that driving is the easiest form of transport. But actually, often there, it's quite unpredictable how long your journey is going to be. There, there may be congestion at one point. You don't know where you're going to park. Whereas generally on a bike or walking, you know, you could probably time it down to the minute how long it'll take. And because you're doing some physical activity, you're getting endorphins going through your body as well. So you're actually going to be a bit happier. It's like a free bit of morphine going through your system almost. Um, so, so yeah, I, mean, I think generally it's a it's a win-win. So how have you, um, as a representative of the health board, been working with Cardiff Council, Vale of Glamorgan Council and, and our other sort of public sector colleagues to to progress this? Um, so I, I did a, edited a, a report a couple of years ago, um, which went to the public services board in both areas. So that th those are um, committees which are set up under the Future Generations Act in each local authority area uh, and contain public sector representatives in each area. And I presented some of the work and it was agreed in Cardiff that they, this was a real need and that we needed to get um, people to shift the way they travel. So it's called modal shift. Um, in our organisations and so I, I took away a piece of work to work with the public sector organisations in Cardiff to see if we could achieve that. Long story short, um, we've now got 15 organisations working together. We've got what's called a healthy travel charter, uh, which all the organisations have signed up to. That was launched in April 2019 and that contains 14 commitments from all the organisations to support our staff and visitors to our sites, to use public transport more, to walk and cycle more, uh, if you do travel by car to enable people to switch to electric vehicles and that that's generally through fleets and that that kind of approach and there are a set of targets there along with that as well and each year we're uh, running a staff survey to understand what effect that's having um, on the organization and uh, we're also shortly going to um, finalize a business charter which we've been working with the Cardiff Business Improvement District on uh, so that's for private businesses who want to be responsible uh, employers so, so lots of different stuff going on in terms of trying to get large employers to show to the world that they value their employees mm -hmm. and that they also value the environment and the impact they're having on that as well. Yeah. So if an organisation makes it easier for their staff to travel by bicycle or they have pool electric cars yep. or something like that, then staff are much less likely to travel between meetings. Take the health board, for example, yep. you know, we've got nine or so sites across Cardiff and Vale I would say probably the majority of people drive between them but the steps that you're helping the health board take is encouraging people to travel between those sites in other ways absolutely and and the other bit which is a, another key part of this is avoiding unnecessary travel as well so I think again we get into historical patterns that 
often we'll have meetings sometimes for the sake of meetings or sometimes face to face just because we don't always have to do that especially with new technology around uh, video conferencing teleconferencing so uh, and, and in terms of agile working as well so do you always need to be in an office to do your work so obviously within the health service and within a lot of other public sector organizations it's not as clear-cut as saying that everyone can always do these things so of course we have frontline staff who are you know, you have to be in A&E. If you're working in A&E, you can't do that from home. I get that. But we also have a lot of staff who actually could be much more flexible, A, about where they work and B, about how they travel between work sites. So, yeah, so it's trying to not have a, a single solution and saying that everyone, this is going to work for everyone. It absolutely isn't. But we can make it easier for most people to, at some point in their week, think about maybe I could do this journey differently or maybe I don't need to make this journey. Uh, and there are lots of those opportunities that, that we can take. And I think with regard to reducing unnecessary journeys, that's something that is a benefit of the health board strategy that that you mentioned. Yep. By seeing people in their community, we're stopping them from having to take probably a car journey to the University Hospital of Wales site to go and have an outpatient appointment. Yeah, and that's been a key part actually of the, the as you say, of the 10-year strategy. So as part of the Shaping Our Future Wellbeing strategy, there's a, a component of it called Shaping Our Future Wellbeing in the Community. Um, which is all about the estates, so the buildings that we need to enable that. So the plan is to have a series of buildings, um, so three locality buildings, so North Cardiff, South Cardiff and the Vale, and then nine neighbourhood local area buildings. And in working out the locations of those buildings as part of that strategy, we have been looking at where would they be best sited for public transport and for walking and cycling access rather than prioritising car access. Um, so that, that has, as you say, is a key part of it because we, we recognise there are so many benefits to doing these things locally, uh, one of which is that, that people don't need to travel as far and are more able to travel actively as well. So we've spoken at length about how we're trying to encourage staff to be more active as a health board. Um, what sort of projects are you working on to try and encourage people and I suppose patients to be more active? One thing I would say at the outset is a lot of these different groups overlap. Um, so within the public sector, about 30% of adults who work in Cardiff work in the public sector. Mm -hmm. So our staff are also our patients and are also local residents and, course, yeah. and people who travel around. So I think that there's something about that power that we have as employers to influence wider society as well. Some of the work that is being led by Cardiff Council, but I'm inputting too from a public health perspective um, there's a few different kind of discrete projects which are might be of interest in this area so so one is around i mentioned clean air earlier uh, and there's a, a legal duty on the cardiff council to reduce the the air pollution within cardiff center so over the next year and a half there is a, a plan which has been put nearly agreed not quite but but on the cusp of being agreed um, which will see quite radical changes to how traffic gets around the center of cardiff and encourage active travel within the center of cardiff alongside that there's a a plan which is already being implemented within Cardiff to have five cycle superhighways crisscrossing the whole of the centre, going out to the peripheries, um, and then to have a, a set of secondary cycle networks which go into that so that wherever you are within the city, you would be able to get quickly and easily to a segregated cycle network. And I think that's really important because a lot of people, myself included, don't find the idea of cycling on a busy road appealing. And I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, and we shouldn't really be expecting people to do that. Uh, so that's happening and has started. So there's already some some new cycle infrastructure in Cardiff. So St. Road is just almost complete, almost open. Um, and there's going to be more. In fact, coming up to the Heath, actually, within the next year or two, there are some plans coming out this, this side of Christmas, hopefully, for consultation of a dedicated cycle network all the way from Cardiff Centre up to the Heath site, which will be great. Fantastic. 
car free day is every year in cardiff and hopefully more often um we're hoping that's going to be more frequent but that's closing down the city center enabling people to walk and cycle more there's a a set of street play pilots where local residents can apply to the council to close their street to enable children to get out and play on the street itself really important because what we've done is normalize the fact that local areas are for cars not for children to be out so this starts to shift that conversation back again and along the same lines there's a, a, a pilot just about to start where outside primary schools there will be what are called traffic regulation orders put in so stopping cars from going up to the school gates in the morning so enabling children to play outside the school gates in the mornings and in the afternoon at pickup. So again, trying to shift that what's normal and what's not. We've got a couple of other pilots happening at the minute. Um, one of them is a pilot we're doing with Nextbike. So Nextbike is the cycle hire scheme that hopefully most people have seen in Cardiff. Really, really successful scheme. Uh, one of the quickest to grow in the UK from Nextbike. So there's now coming up for 100 stations in Cardiff, nearly 1,000 bikes now installed. And uh, I saw the other day, over half a million journeys have now been taken on Nextbike in Cardiff, and it's only been in for a year. Uh, so that's that's really good. So we're promoting Nextbike, but one of the things we're doing within the health board is piloting a system where um, GPs and physios, if they feel that a patient may benefit from cycling, can give people a free prescription for Nextbike. Um, and we're working through the practicalities of that, and it's not as straightforward perhaps as it may sound, Somebody may not have got on a bike for a number of reasons and giving them a free prescription may not mean that they will suddenly get on the bike. So we're working through it, uh, a number of barriers that people are facing. But that's a, a really exciting thing about, again, about trying to change that conversation about what do we mean by health? What do we mean by healthy activity? And how do we encourage that? We've actually recorded an, another episode of this podcast with Dr. Karen Pardy on okay. social prescribing. I think it is one of the functions of the GP in the future won't be to pre prescribe medicines, but will just be to help people be as healthy as they can in a, in a more holistic way and it sounds like the work that you and your team are doing are, are really laying the foundations for that well i i hope so I mean, and, and, and i should say you know this is all loads of different people in lots of different organizations doing this so i'm just trying to make links between people and try and strengthen some of those so there's a lot of passionate people in cardiff trying to make a difference and uh, i think we're supported by really great organizations so i th i think the next one or two years we'll start to see a real change within cardiff i look forward to seeing it Dr. Tom Porter, thank you very much. Great, thank you. Thanks again to Dr. Tom Porter for chatting with us on today's episode. It's safe to say that before I met Tom, I had no idea how much the NHS was involved in influencing how we all got around. But after this conversation, I feel like it is important that the NHS is involved in these discussions for the sake of our collective health and well-being as a society. I also found it really refreshing that there was so much emphasis on organisations acting rather than the individual, because while individual action is important, large scale change is really going to be affected by how convenient it is for people to do things like cycle and walk to work. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast and leave a review if you can. Why not recommend it to a friend? If you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, you can contact us by emailing news at wales.nhs.uk or on Twitter at cv underscore UHB. Until next time, my name's Bryn Kentish and this was How Healthcare Happens. <laughs>